0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can, for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd like to say thank you to Jeff Henderson, who donated to the podcast this past week. And don't forget, I have several other podcasts out there, from John to Justin, Pucks and Cups, Canada's Great War, and Coast to Coast, available on all podcast platforms. Also, Matthew, if you're listening, I tried to email you back, but my emails keep bouncing back. So uh, try and get in touch with me through Instagram or Twitter. And on that note, if you want to email me, you can. Just email craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-E-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos all about Canada's history. And my handle is Baird037. You can also find weekly history videos on my YouTube channel, just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. And if you want to find transcripts of every single episode, go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. The land that 100 Mile House is located on today was long the domain of the Indigenous, specifically the Shuswap, who developed a diverse and interesting culture in the region. Taking advantage of the bountiful resources, the indigenous would form large trading networks that stretched from the Pacific coast to the future Canadian prairies. The start of 100 Mile House began when it was known as Bridge Creek House after the creek that came through the area. During the Caribou Gold Rush of the 1860s, as prospectors flooded into the interior of future British Columbia, several people decided to make money off the gold seekers, and one of those individuals was Thomas Miller. He would set up several buildings in the area that served as resting spots for travellers. These buildings were not luxurious by any means, but they provided shelter from the elements. At the time, Bridge Creek House sat along the Hudson's Bay Company Brigade Trail, which stretched from Kamloops to Fort Alexandria, which was 158 kilometres north of 100 Mile House. In 1862, 100 Mile House would get its unique name when a proper roadhouse was constructed at the 100-mile mark along the new Caribou Road from Lillooet. The stopping house would become a historical attraction for the area, but it would sadly be destroyed by fire on April 19th, 1937. The Vancouver province would report on the loss, quote, The old 100-mile house, famous 75 years ago as a stopping place for travellers along the old Caribou Highway in interior British Columbia, was destroyed by fire early today. No estimate of the damage was available, but it was known that historical records and fittings, except for the part of the old bar, had been removed, end quote. At the time, the stopping house was used as a bunkhouse on the local ranch. Nearby to 100 Mile House at the time, 108 Mile House would be built to serve the growing number of gold seekers coming to the area. Originally built in the 1860s, it would eventually be relocated to a new site, and its buildings would be preserved, and several buildings would be moved to it, including the 105 Mile McNeil Roadhouse, which was located to the south originally. Several buildings can be found at the site now, including a 160 foot log barn built in 1908 to house over 100 Clydesdale horses and today is the largest log structure of its kind left in Canada. In the Nicola Valley, the altar, lectern, and pews were relocated from a 1904 church and taken to the 108-mile site. There's also a 1932 one-room schoolhouse there, and a portable sawmill that was moved to the site in 1952. Today, the 108-mile heritage site is a community landmark and a great place to explore the history of the area from before Canada was even a country. In 1930, Lord Martin Cecil left England and came to 100 Mile House to manage the estate of his father, the 5th Marquis of Exeter. The estate was prominent enough that it had its own train stop called Exeter, just to the west of 100 Mile House. Within the 50,000 acre ranch, itself essentially a tiny town, there was a general store, a post office, a telegraph office and a power plant. In all, the small locality had a population of 12 people, and the ranch had been bought by the Marquis in 1912, and the Edmonton Journal would report, quote, the young man will make his permanent home in the Caribou and will take over the actual management as soon as he feels competent. He is learning fast. One of the first things he learned was the cow puncher wears a silk handkerchief around his neck for good reasons and not merely for show. The handkerchief is an efficient defense against the mosquitoes, and as Lord Martin was without one on his first ride around the range, he got stung often enough for the lesson to sink in permanently." End quote. While at the ranch, he would also become the head of the emissaries of divine light establishing its headquarters at 100 Mile House. He would eventually return to England in 1901, became the 7th Marquis of Exeter, remaining so until his death in 1988. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. i spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom and uploading content. Through it all, Explornet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. Explornet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call one During the Second World War, Taylor Lake, nearby to 100 Mile House, would have a sad part in the history of Canada. It was there that a camp, one of the 56 set up in Canada, was set up to intern Japanese Canadians who were forcefully moved away from the coast of British Columbia after Pearl Harbor was attacked. The Japanese Canadians were kept at the camp from 1942 to 1945, the camp was self-supporting, which meant it was less restrictive, and the internees would work, operate shops, send their children to school, and have businesses. Despite being taken away from their homes, the internees would build lives for themselves at the camp to make it as manageable as possible for the families there. And due to its history, the site was made a provincially recognized heritage site in 2017. Speaking of the recognition of the camp, Joe Kamori, who was a child at the camp and would live nearby afterwards, would say, quote, Everything was hush-hush, you know. And most Japanese people, they don't want to speak out. We keep more held inside. And now the seniors are gone. Their stories are gone. So the third and fourth generations are starting to open up who've heard those stories. End quote. In 1955, 100 Mile House would go through a major setback when its sawmill, one of the biggest employers in the community, burned to the ground. The fire had started in the planer mill and quickly spread through the building. This was actually the second fire in two weeks in the area. The home of the station agent had burned to the ground previously, And as for the sawmill fire, the damages were estimated at $35,000, or about $350,000 today. In 1965, a century after 100 Mile House first started to appear on the landscape, the community was finally incorporated as a town. At the time, the town had a population of 800 people, and today it's seen its population increased almost 2,000. The same year that 100 Mile House became a town, it would make nationwide news when there was a tragic plane crash in the area. It was on July 10, 1965, when a DC-6B crashed near the community, becoming the fourth worst air disaster in Canadian history at the time. The crash was believed to have been caused due to thunderstorms in the area, but the true cause was much more malicious. Flying from Vancouver to Prince George, the plane was piloted by John Steele, a Second World War veteran. As the plane flew over Ashcroft, three Mayday calls were heard on the air traffic control. Then an explosion occurred in the left-aft bathroom. This caused the tail to separate from the fuselage, and the aircraft spiraled out of the air and crashed into a wooded area. All 46 passengers and 6 crew members were killed in the crash. The crash site was about 40 kilometers west of 100 Mile House, and today remnants of the crash remain at the site. A coroner's inquest investigated and found that there was an explosive substance foreign to the normal contents of the aircraft which caused the crash. Witnesses on the ground stated they saw the tail separate from the plane and debris come out the back of the aircraft the debris they saw turned out to be the bodies of passengers flying out due to the depressurization of the aircraft. The tail would fall 500 meters away from the rest of the plane, which had been engulfed in flames as it fell. The RCMP investigated the explosion and focused on four passengers on the plane, but none were brought forward as suspects. To this day, no one has claimed responsibility, no charges have been laid, and the source of the explosion remains unknown. I hope you enjoyed that episode, which was a rather short one. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rowa, Luke Guess, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.